Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And today's episode, if you may notice, I did not say what numbered episode. And that's a little bit on on purpose, some intention behind that, because this is one of those episodes that I'm not 100% sure when or if it will see the light of day. Now that sounds like I'm being very dramatic, but in reality, it's just one of these episodes that I find very interesting. And I I don't even necessarily have a direction that I want to go, so I want to see where it will unfold, but it's about dreams. And so often people come into my office and they say, what do you know about dreams? And do you interpret dreams? Do you believe the dreams that they mean things or do they not? Are they just random pictures and words and situations? And being completely honest, early in my therapeutic practice, I honestly just didn't even spend much time thinking about other people's dreams. And they would bring them into my office. And it wasn't like I was thinking, oh boy, this again, or what a waste of time. But I would just, I would act engaged and I would listen and say, tell me more. But it didn't necessarily impact the the therapy. So I started to recognize that, okay, well, that's a me issue. It's not very empathetic. So every two years, therapists have to do some training, some continuing educational units. So I spent a lot of those units one year on dream training. And I learned a little bit about Freud's interpretation of dreams and some other theories on dreams. And just this is an oversimplified, probably confabulated uh, memory of what I learned. But it seemed to be that dreams were the subconscious's playground. So I was working off of this underlying assumption that if you were stuffing things away all day and then you go to sleep at night, then your brain said, "Okay, you have no control over me. I will do whatever I want. And that's why there were dreams. And so sometimes then if people would bring their things about dreams into a session, then it was really easy for me to start saying, okay, well, what do you think that you've been suppressing? What are the things that you're in essence trying to not think about? And I know that I talk about psychological reactants. And when we say, don't think about something, our brain immediately thinks about it, but we're not audibly expressing those things. And so maybe they're getting buried down in the subconscious. So then at night, then we try to make sense of dreams. And I also feel pretty I don't want to say certain because uh, seeking certainty is adorable, but there's a concept called apophenia, and that is something that I shared. I did a podcast on apophenia not long ago because I really felt like it's just a fascinating concept. And, And what apophenia is, is the way that we look for patterns. And it's a, it's a, a survival instinct. It's a defense mechanism. It's, it's the tendency to perceive meaningful connections between unrelated things. And it was this term that was coined by the psychiatrist named Conrad, Klaus Conrad, back in the late 50s. And at that time, it was more associated with schizophrenia. But then we've learned over the time that apophenia is also known as patternicity. And it's just, it's common. It's a very common human behavior that is healthy and stable. And so we just, our brain desires certainty and wants to create meaning so bad that then we may wake up and then all of a sudden we're trying to put meaning behind why I had a clown who was hitting a, I don't know, a turkey with a, a canoe oar um, right in front of a band of circus performers on unicycles. I don't know why I pulled all those things out of there, but then we would say, I wonder what the circus uh, performers, I mean, I, I did see the circus one time when I was little and sometimes I'm thinking, oh yeah, boy, you did. So that makes sense. So that apophenia would be a big concept of dreams. But a couple of weeks ago, there was an article that came through Apple News, my Apple News feed, and it was about dreams and why we twitch. 
So we twitch while we dream. And if you ever, I always think about seeing one of our pets and they're sitting there and their legs are twitching and their face is twitching. And we used to always just say, oh, he's, he's chasing rabbits. If we were talking about our dog and, and the thought though, is that, okay, so there's a dream happening in there and that dream, they're responding to the dream. But this article just blew my mind because it takes that concept and it has a whole different interpretation about why we twitch because there's a lot of interesting data that shows that that babies twitch in the womb and this this study in particular spent a lot of time looking at tiny rat pups and a lot of them their eyes aren't even open yet or they're fresh from the womb so what are they dreaming about if they really haven't had any experiences or haven't seen anything so what I want to do today is I I will I, I love being able to just own this. I took the article and then I took chunks of it and then I plugged it into ChatGPT, asked to simplify the article. I will give all credit where credit is due, but then we'll talk a little bit about the simplification and then I would love to just go on maybe a, a tangent or two about what I how I feel like this shows up in regards to therapy. And you'll see where I'm going with this because it's just a fascinating article with some really interesting concepts. So the article is called, What Are Dreams For? Converging Lines of Research Suggest That We Might Be Misunderstanding Something That We Do Every Night of Our Lives, and it's from August 31st of this year, 2023, written by Amanda Gefter. So let's uh, let's jump into my good friend, Chad GPT. The first, the first chunk, I don't know what well, better phrase there, the first part of the article, there we go, the simplified summary from Chad GPT says... Mark Blumberg, a scientist, watched baby rats sleep and noticed that they twitched a lot, just like new humans do during a specific kind of sleep called REM sleep. And in REM sleep, humans often have very clear dreams and their eyes move quickly even though they're closed. So scientists believe that our bodies are mostly still during REM sleep so we don't act out on our dreams. So the small twitches were thought to be dream leftovers. And adult dream Adults dream about things that they've seen or experienced, but babies, especially ones not even born yet, haven't seen anything. So why do they tend to spend so much time in this dreamy rim sleep? So to understand this better, Bloomberg did an experiment on baby rats. Here's the part that may sound a little bit a little bit cruel, but uh, baby rats, Mark Bloomberg, in the name of science. So to understand this better, he took out part of their brain related to dreams but then saw that the rats still twitched in their sleep. So this meant that the twitching wasn't only because of dreams, because that part of the, the brain, the cortex, was missing. And that is where dreams reside. So Bloomberg had been studying how baby, how baby brains connect with their bodies. So for a long time, people didn't pay attention to the twitches because, again, they just thought that they were left over from their dreams. But he started to think that there is a lot more to learn from these twitches. Because the article talks about dreams have always been mysterious and people think that they maybe are about wishes that we don't talk about and others just think that it's the brain talking to itself. Some believe that dreams help us remember things and some believe that they actually help us forget things. And as the therapist in me says that I have truly wondered and looked at the concept of uh, dream-related therapy, which is when people do the lucid dreaming they and they take control of their lives within the dream. And could that be a new frontier of healing from a therapeutic lens? But I think this article is going to challenge some of that. But Bloomberg, his work with twitches might help solve these mysteries. So it goes back a little bit in history. People like Rene Descartes, the, the famous thinker, had dreams that made them think about how our body and mind are different. And nowadays, scientists think the same way but then they focus on the brain instead of the mind. 
So if we go back into the 1950s, two scientists discovered that during REM sleep, their brain, the, the brain is very active. That it's like the brain is awake, but the body is still sleeping. And then later scientists found out that during REM sleep, our muscles become really relaxed because of signals from the brain. So this is why people sometimes can't move when they wake up, or they might even act out uh, their dreams. That concept of sleep paralysis, if you've ever had that, we boy go back to the concept of apophenia, and a lot of times we want to really make meaning of why, but there's often a scientific answer for things, and part of that is that the chemical that that then says, okay, you're awake, is still flowing through the body for an extra second or two. So it can feel like we're completely paralyzed because we wake. But so then scientists wanted to see if the outside world could affect their dreams. So they tried things like giving people certain smells or showing them objects while they were in REM sleep. That part was funny. The, this is the summary of the article, but it talked about, in essence, how people were, they would, I think in essence, like tape their eyes open while they slept, while they entered REM and then show them uh, different images, some even horrific. And I just think, I really feel like if my eyes were taped open, it would be really hard to get to REM sleep, but, but maybe that's just me. But these things did not change people's dreams. So because of this, by the 1970s, scientists believed that the brain and the body were kind of separated during REM sleep. So that's pretty significant. So that means that they're thinking they're just doing their own thing. But then one scientist named Hobson had a theory. So he said that he thought that dreams were just the brain making sense of random signals. But then this idea couldn't explain everything about the dreams. So even though many scientists didn't fully agree with Hobson's idea, they still believe that the brain and the body were not connected during these times. So Bloomberg, who we talked about earlier, started collecting videos of animals sleeping. So the, the life of a scientist, it, it could be very fascinating. But he saw that many animals, from monkeys to spiders to bees to bees, twitch while they sleep, and some even before they're born. So now things get kind of interesting. So this made him think, okay, maybe the body's twitches are actually sending signals to the brain during sleep. So this part is phenomenal. And I really tried to Google this and I couldn't find much more, but he and his team did an experiment. And the summary, I don't think does this justice. I believe that in the full article they talked about, it took a few years, but they were able to implant tiny devices in baby rats' brains to watch their brain activity while they twitched in their sleep. And his experiments with the rat pup showed something just fascinating. So what happened was that the devices that he put in the baby rat's brains were attached to these different, I think it was the neurotransmitters or the synapses. So when a twitch occurred, a musical note was played. And I have to tell you, for one of my son's uh, college classes recently, we were talking about mathematical patterns that happen in nature. And we were looking up a thing called the, you know, the Fibonacci sequence. And so you just see these mathematical patterns that are just happening or occurring naturally. And for a millisecond, I thought that what we were going to learn was that all of a sudden the baby rats twitches played beautiful symphonic music, but that wasn't the case. What they really did though, was they heard a lot of different musical notes, which meant that the twitches were coming from all different areas of the brain. So then what that showed was that the, when the rat's paw twitched during sleep, the brain responded immediately after. So this showed that the brain was actually listening to the body during REM sleep. So from this, Bloomberg proposed a theory. He said, our brains use REM sleep to learn our bodies. So he said, even though it sounds strange that we aren't born with a complete understanding of our body. So as babies, we, in essence, it's almost like we're this brain and then here comes the body to follow. So we need to figure out how our body works, how each muscle feels when it moves, 
and how it feels when different parts of our body touch or move. So you can think about it like this. So before we're born, we spend a lot of time in the womb in the dark. So during this time, what better time to try to understand our body? For example, we try to learn what it feels like to move our tongue or what our extended arm feels like. Now in our daily life right now, when we move, we use a lot of different muscles at once. But during sleep, our body twitches in a very precise way, moving one muscle at a time. And this might actually help our brain understand our body better. So it's like during sleep, during REM, that is the time where our brain is learning, hey, where uh, where are you at, toes? Oh, there you are. I, I got you. So then Bloomberg thinks this learning doesn't stop when we're babies. This is what gets even more interesting. It might continue throughout our lives as our body changes and as we learn new things. So for instance, when Bloomberg learns a new rhythm on the drums, he said he wonders if sleep actually helps him remember it better. And then the author of the article, she also talked about in her dreams that she wonders how these small muscle movements during sleep can then lead to such dreams. So to understand this better, they looked into a book by a woman named Jennifer Wint, who's a philosopher, and she talks about how dreams might be a way that our brain processes experiences without using our senses. But before I get to that part, though, here's where just some commentary. It's interesting because when I'm talking to people and they are in really difficult relationships or they start new activities or new jobs or just a lot of change, you often hear that they're just so exhausted. They're just so tired. And I don't ever want to to put that down, but it can be really difficult because somebody will say, I just, I don't have the energy or the strength to do this new thing. And it just got me thinking a lot about is the concept of, or the fact that you're doing the new thing, part of what really zaps your energy. And do you even need more sleep when you're doing the new thing? Because you're, you're probably interacting differently with the world. And so your brain needs to learn more and it needs to process more during that rim sleep which then leaves you physically exhausted because I love acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's one of those concepts where when you really identify what your core values are and set value-based goals, then it's time to take action. But your brain is still going to give you a bunch of yeah, buts. Well, yeah, but, but I'm too tired. And so in air quote, normal act therapy, if somebody is saying, okay, no, I've got a value of, uh, I got a value of knowledge and the vehicle is going to be writing and I'm going to start writing a book then the brain might say, yeah, but you're pretty sleepy. So in normal act therapy, I would say, oh, totally sleepy. I'm not even arguing that. But is that a productive thought toward your value-based goal? If not, let's invite sleepy to come along with you while you write. So that one's a little, little easier when we're talking about things like anxiety. Oh, I'm anxious about writing. Totally. Of course you are. So uh, acknowledge it. Hey, I see you, anxiety. And I'm going to invite you to come along with me while you start writing. But you can maybe see that Somebody saying, I'm exhausted or I'm tired or I can't keep my eyes open. That one's a little more difficult to just uh, acknowledge, say, I see you, eyes shutting down. And why don't you come with me to start doing this value-based goal? So it, it almost makes me wonder at times if people just need to double down on their sleep when even in anticipation of starting something brand new. So if we go back to Jennifer Wentz research, it began with the idea that everything we experience in dreams is purely a creation of the brain. But then as she dove a little bit deeper, she found evidence that our bodies might influence our dreams. So for instance, the feeling of our heart beating, breathing changes, and blood pressure during REM sleep could all affect dream content. Our inner ear, which helps determine our position and movement and balance, might also play a role in dreams. And then another intriguing point about our muscle twitches during sleep is that when we're awake, our brain can predict sensations caused by our own movements. So when we dream, there's no prediction. So we know because of this visceral or gut reaction that we, we can anticipate what we're doing next. One foot is going in front of the other. Somebody's coming my way. I'm going to step aside. 
but in your brain or in your brain, but in your dreams, again, they're your prediction engine is somewhat non-existent. So this can make us confuse sensations created by ourselves with those from an external source. So she gave an example that healthy people, this is so fascinating. Healthy people can't tickle themselves because they anticipate the sensation. But during REM sleep, they might respond as if somebody else is tickling them, which that one was really interesting. In the article, she had a quick side note. I believe it was on the concepts of schizophrenia or people with dissociative identity disorder, and they can tickle the heck out of themselves because it's like another person. It was so interesting. She also said that dreams also combine daily events with distant memories. This is the part where I started to think this is getting um, uh, back into my, I feel like my world of where, when we're talking about the confabulated memory or the mechanisms of memory, or if in certain uh, areas, if certain places we go, we have certain feelings, there's triggers that then if the brain is twitching, this is again, according to me, this is not my made up theory. But if the brain really is twitching to then reset uh, or yeah, reset parts of the, the body, but then where it twitches, this part of the brain is also associated with a memory, then the brain's going to say, oh, we're, hey, we're needed. The twitching's happening and it's this part of the memory. And when I think of this part of the memory, I think of safety. And when I think of safety, I think of, I don't know, of somebody giving me a big hug. And then, but then another part of the brain twitches, which is about fear, which is maybe doing something dangerous. So all of a sudden the person that is safe is got you holding you over a, a waterfall in Niagara Falls. And now you're suddenly you're thinking, holy cow, what am I supposed to make out of this? This guy doesn't like me, or am I not supposed to trust safety or is Niagara Falls in my future? Where in reality, it might be the brain just responding to the twitching, but then the brain again, bless its adorable heart, but saying, Oh, hey, I know what that part of the brain does. It's this memory. So maybe it's just trying to play catch up. But but what Jennifer's saying is that, again, so they combine daily, dreams combine daily events with distant memories. So if we, we typically think of memories as stored in the brain, there's evidence that our bodies play that role too. So our eye movements when seeing an object are similar to when we remember it. Later, even our body posture can influence how well we remember something. So a specific muscle sensation then during REM sleep might trigger a specific memory. And then she believes that by recognizing the role that our bodies play in dreaming, we can start to better understand our dreams. So for example, if there are intense emotions that we feel in dreams, that those could be tied to the irregularities in our heart rates during REM. So if, if our heart rate is dysregulated, maybe we are, maybe it's part of that. We, we ate too late before we went to sleep. We haven't been exercising well. So our heart rate is increasing. Then that's bringing some cortisol into our brain while we sleep and our brain's trying to reset and clear out that cortisol, but then it might feel scary. So maybe we will have a scary dream. And she said other dream experiences like feeling paralyzed or experiencing movement could be influenced by our body's physical state during sleep. And then she ends, the article ends by touching on this work by a guy named Philip K. Dick, who explores the idea of androids dreaming. And this was so interesting. It raises the question about the relationship between the mind and the body when creating dreams. In, in 2013, Bloomberg's exploring whether the twitching observed in animals then could be used to help robots understand their own bodies. And about the same time, a team of roboticists with support from NASA was working on a robot that could adapt to injuries. This robot was named the evil starfish and it faced a problem. So if it got stuck or damaged, so I think it was heading to Mars, then most movements could make the situation worse. So the solution they found was to use twitches. And by making small movements, the robot could assess its situation and adjust. So for example, if the robot found itself tilted 
and they went into more detail and just said that if, let's say that it was on the surface of Mars and severe windstorms occurred, and then there was a rock slide and it found itself trapped or buried in rocks. So if the robot found itself tilted, it would use small twitches to determine whether or not it was on uneven ground or if it had lost a leg. So by employing this method, the team demonstrated that their robot could effectively learn its own body and adapt to damages like a missing leg. So this learning through twitching process looks so much like sleeping processes of animals that then it was jokingly referred to then as robot dreaming. So when this other scientist, Bongard and Bloomberg met in 2013, they realized the similarities between the robot's learning method and the idea of dreaming in animals. So Bongard noted that dreaming might serve as a safe place for the brain and the body to recalibrate. So then the author said, the question is, are these robots truly dreaming? Because if dreams are a way to understand unclear body signals, then perhaps the robots are actually dreaming in their own way. However, human dreams are far more profound and they provide the synthesis of memories, sensations, and and emotions. So then the article closes up with the author's personal reflections on a dream that they had about a long lost pet. And the dream, she said, was so vivid that it evoked tactile memories that that she couldn't consciously recall, emphasizing like the depth and the intricacy of human dreams compared to robot dreams. So one of the things that I think is really interesting with this is I was sharing this with my wife and she's had a, she was talking about a pretty powerful dream that she had had not long ago. That was, it was very meaningful to her. And so I honestly realized later at a later time that, okay, that was, that was probably insensitive because it's almost as if I'm saying, Hey, science has figured out that dreams don't really mean anything. But then yet I've had personally some pretty profound dreams. I know a lot of clients have had very distinct dreams. And so I'm going to go a tiny bit onto the spiritual realm for anybody that is, uh, that is something that, that they identify with. And there's uh, some pretty interesting concepts. One is that sometimes people, when they're talking about things like miracles, it's that a miracle is something that still has to happen within the, the physical or natural laws of the universe. If you take that same concept of where, let's say that if you believe in a God, that if God's going to communicate with you, then they are going to communicate with you most likely through ways that are available. Instead of maybe just manifesting in person and in the flesh, then are they going to take something like the mechanisms of memory or dreams? Because that is a thing. It's a tangible thing. And then communicate to you through the dream. And the reason I think that that could be significant for those that are spiritual would be the the thought that then if you are just having some random dreams and we're back to the people on unicycles at the circus and the guy with the canoe paddle and the fish, but then all of a sudden, if you have a profound dream of a long lost relative who comes to you and speaks to you and tells you that, hey, everything's going to be okay, or you know you have a dream that you are very present and you're you see this abusive person in your life that you are trying to break free from. And then you're told that hey, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to do okay. You let go or, or you've got all that you need or be confident. Then I feel like that would be a way that the divine would communicate. And that even the fact, if we're looking at polarity, where if we know the craziness of a dream, then that would, if we're really looking at polarity, then we would look at, that means that we know the significance of a dream that doesn't feel crazy. So those are some thoughts um, that I have around this concept. Uh, I would love to get your thoughts. Feel free to comment or send me back emails or that sort of thing. So I don't necessarily have a in what we've learned today or a hot take, but I think it's fascinating that as dreams continue to, or dream research continues to evolve, that ultimately it still does go back to you or the only version of you walking the face of the earth. 
and that your dreams are what that you can make of them. And I'm not trying to say that in a dismissive way, but because even if I'm talking about this, my thoughts or my concepts around the spiritual realm or reality of the way that a loving God could communicate through our dreams, then you're still the one who's experiencing them, feeling them. And then even as you share them with someone else and are looking for help or interpretation of the dream, ultimately, that's it's your opportunity to be differentiated, to then you know how you feel. And if somebody says, well, I wonder if it's this or I think it's this, now all of a sudden they become your muse and you get to say, oh, you know what? That Yeah, that, that kind of resonates. Or no, that one doesn't really feel right. And, and you can start to maybe make some sense out of the things that didn't seem like they had much sense to be made of them. <laughs> I want to say, there you go. How about those dreams, everybody? But have an amazing week, and I will see you next time on the Virtual Catch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber gold.